Welcome to episode 19 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, my guests are Carrie Chapin and Blair Stocker. Carrie is the author of four books, most notably The Handmade Marketplace. She's a creative business consultant and helps all sorts of creative entrepreneurs level up their businesses through strategic planning, brainstorming, and support. She also teaches and speaks at events and conferences across the United States. Her next course is with Creative Live, RSVP now to take her three-day online course, Starting a Handmade Business, for free, right on the Creative Live website. Carrie lives in Portland, Oregon. Carrie Chapin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Blair Stalker is a modern crafter and prolific maker. She's the author of the new book, Wisecraft, Turning Thrift Store Finds, Fabric Scraps, and Natural Objects into Stuff You Love. Blair also designs quilts and quilt patterns, creates online DIY content for various platforms, and passes along her love of making through teaching. Her blog is wisecrafthandmade.com. Blair lives in Seattle. Blair Stalker, welcome. Excited to be here. Um, great. So, Carrie, let's start with you. Your book, The Handmade Marketplace, is a mainstay in the craft community. It's the business resource I feel like everyone owns and has read, um, myself included. Now you've got a revised and updated edition coming out. So tell us um, how the book came to be originally and what is new in this updated version. Well, the book originally came about... Um... I had the idea for it a long time ago when I was working in a boutique in Western Massachusetts, a home goods store, and our goal was to sell a lot of eco-friendly or um, upcycled items in the store to match our parent company, which is where we made blankets and pillows and rugs and things like that out of recycled wool sweaters. And Etsy was sort of new on the scene, and I was writing to makers saying, hey, I'd really like to carry your product to my store, but nobody would get back to me. And I realized after a little while, it's because they just didn't understand what I was asking. They didn't understand about um, wholesaling their goods or line sheets or anything like that. So I just started writing these series of emails to makers trying to um, get them excited about selling their things in stores because I really wanted to carry these unique items. And um, after a while, I just had a strong enough sense that this could actually be a book that would help my community. And I met an editor and said, I have a book idea, and that's how it all started. And um, So that's so interesting. So you were – you are not a maker yourself, but you are actually on the sort of buyer end of things and seeing a need for makers to sort of professionalize. Yeah, I, I've i always been a maker, but never really wanted to pursue a business making anything. So I've always really enjoyed crafting. And there's a couple of um, craft hobbies that I've had since I was little that I still keep up with today, but I never really wanted to make my living that way. However, I have always really loved marketing and publicity, and that's what I did professionally up until the point that I took the job in the store as the store manager. I'd never worked retail or done anything like that before. And I just could see how all of my skills from my marketing and public relations background really transferred over to these amazing makers and felt like I had something to share with them. But I definitely loved the community so much and wanted to find a foothold in the community. I wanted to contribute, but I knew I would not be um, contributing through 
having my own store and leading by example. So I needed to find a back door into, into this world. And luckily I was able to do that with the handmade marketplace. Yeah. I feel like it was when it came on the scene, when your book came out, it was like the first sort of business book for people like me. You know what I mean? It was like the first one that kind of explained to you, okay, this is how to turn your hobby into something that's going to really be sustainable and earn an income and be a real deal. Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly what I was going for. I really wanted to empower people and make them feel like, oh, this just doesn't have to be a little side thing. This can be my actual business, my actual lifestyle. I can really do this. And I really, really wanted to create that resource for people. So I'm glad it's worked. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been incredibly successful, so much so that – you know, when, so when did the the original uh, Handmade Marketplace come out? It came out in 2010. Okay. So um, it seems like that's a lifetime in internet years. But when I think back, like, wow, it's only yeah. it's only just turned four years old in February right. of 2014. So, um, <laughs> you know, but things change so fast in our online world that the second edition was really warranted. There was enough new information to include for makers now that um, I was really happy to get the chance to write a second edition of a book, which is something I never imagined would be possible. So Yeah, that's a, sort of a, an author's dream come true to sort of make it keep going, you know, to make the, the sort of initial germ of an idea that's been so successful keep going and keep having that same relevance and success. So tell us what some of the things that sort of stand out to you that have changed since the release in 2010 that you really wanted to incorporate in the new edition. Well, I think a couple of things have changed. I think um, even social media, of course, has continued to just grow and expand and grow and expand. Um, that when I wrote the first edition, we really had Twitter and some people were on Facebook, but some people still felt like Facebook was, you know, primarily for college kids. So we did not have the, um, the kind of Facebook that we have today. So the social media stuff has really changed with things like Instagram and Pinterest and websites like that. So those are all included now. There's also a whole brand new creative collective, which is a feature that readers really respond to. They love hearing stories from other makers who are either in the same position as them, a little bit ahead of them, way far ahead of them or even behind them. You know, it makes people feel less alone and um, more confident in what they're actually doing. So there's a whole brand new creative collective, which I love. And um, a lot more in social media. There's a lot less emphasis on things like blogging and SEO, which I think were really excellent and still are excellent business tools that we have access today. But I think that with the um, explosion of social media, if, you, if you're if you not a comfortable blogger, I don't think that that really makes or breaks your business as much as it did even, even four or five years ago when really your blog was the main way that people could get to know you or be in touch with you. Now they could just follow you on Pinterest or subscribe to your Instagram feed and still see get a glimpse into your to your life or your work style where which just wasn't available when I wrote the first book yeah gosh that's I think maybe been the biggest change um that I've seen and I know Blair will talk more about your blog as well but I know you've been blogging since 2005 like me and my goodness like back in the day it was really all about having that blog and now as you said 
there's a lot of other ways. I mean, I think having a blog is still sort of a primary way to market yourself, but there's so many other ways that you can do it successfully. And we've seen so many people do it just via Instagram, for example, um, and have a huge following there and tremendous success without really doing anything with a blog. Um, so that is a big change. Do you have um, more information about like e-commerce? Yeah, there's there's so many different ways to sell your stuff now. So there are definitely updates to all of that, but it's it's primarily about marketing, okay. uh, as it ho- always has been. So uh, you know, there's I think as far as e-commerce goes, we used to sort of feel like Etsy was the best way to sell your stuff online, or maybe it was the only way to really sell your stuff online. But there's, you know, a lot of people are successful now selling directly from their own websites, Insta sales. There's lots of different ways to sell your goods online now. It's, um, I think Etsy is a really important piece of the puzzle, but they're certainly not the only accessible game in town anymore. And so there is a lot of alternatives mentioned in the book as far as selling your stuff, either instead of or as well as having an Etsy shop. Okay. But with a focus really on not the sort of nuts and bolts of selling, but on bringing people to you and um, sort of showing them what you have to offer, telling a good story and that kind of thing. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Well, those are huge issues. So I think that's still an excellent uh, offering. So, all right. Thank you so much. So Blair, um, let's turn to you. And um, first of all, congratulations on the publication of your new book, which is amazing. Wisecraft the book. So you started Wisecraft the blog in the same year that I started blogging, as I mentioned. And um, it's been, gosh, almost 10 years now. So I hope you're not embarrassed, but I went back the other day and read your first blog post. <laughs> and I love, <laughs> I what I loved most about it, it's, it's, it's actually much less awkward than my first blog post, I will say. But I, what I loved is that your first comment was from Claire Robert, Robertson of Luby Lou. And Claire's month of softies. I don't know if you remember her doing that, but that was how I began sewing toys was through her. So she is always going to be dear to me. So here we are nine years later, uh, and we're still at it. So how did your blog Wisecraft lead you to writing the book Wisecraft? Well, as you said, we've been blogging since the ice ages. So, um, it, you know, I've, I think I have enough material uh, throughout the years of blogging that I kind of have a feel for what my readers enjoy. And so I knew I wanted to write some sort of book. And um, about three years ago, I um, was doing a totally different unrelated project with a photographer here in Seattle. And we worked together so well. And I was talking to her about this idea I had and, and, uh, she was excited about it. So she, I came home and I developed it a little bit more. And what I wanted to focus on in my book, um, was all types of crafts. I think that there are so many good books out there that sort of go deep in one type of craft, like a quilt book or a crochet book. And, I do all of those things. I, you know, will quilt all day and then relax by crocheting. Or I will, you know, jump into a DIY project and redo my daughter's room. And 
as I was putting together the ideas for the book, I thought there's got to be other people, other creative people out there that do the same sort of thing. They don't want to necessarily go deep into one type of craft, but they want a springboard for their own creative ideas. So that part of it, I felt really strongly about. And, uh, I also wanted to focus on things that, uh, we have in our home that have meaning. And, you know, I, I took time to reflect on what all that is because there is a ton of handmade stuff in our house. And it seems like when, a new person comes to visit that they're most intrigued by those little things throughout our house that have a story. And I realize how much that resonates with people and it also sparks their creativity. Um, so I know that, you know, I, I have friends who have never quilted in their life, but their first quilt project is for a new baby that their friend is having. And they're just, drawn to make something handmade. So I wanted to touch on the importance of telling your family's story through these simple handmade items and how they can add, you know, they add a lot to your house. They look pretty. You have a huge amount of satisfaction from them. You can join in with your children. And so that was the idea that I took to publishers and uh, it was, you know, it was kind of a, it, it was an interesting conversation in the beginning because, uh, I wanted the book to be called Wisecraft and I wanted it to touch on various different, um, types of crafts. And so, you know, that required a little finessing. There was a, you know, couple months, uh, the summer before I signed the contract that I was on Skype with. Um, several different publishers every day. They were just drilling me. Why would you put so many different crafts in a book? And so it was interesting because I really, by the time I'd finished defending it to all of these people, I felt even more strongly about it. And I think, you know, having gone through that process myself and pitched um, two books myself and had conversations with multiple publishers and had to finesse and sort of um, you know, figure out really what my vision was. I think that process is incredibly interesting and so valuable. And listening to publishers talk to you about what sells and what needs to be in a book even, um, I don't know. For me, I, I learned a tremendous amount from that. Did you find it to be educational? Did you, like, are there things that you learned from those conversations I mean, besides sort of becoming even more set and confident in what you wanted this book to be, but other things that sort of stuck with you that, I, I mean, even the whole process of writing a book is that way. Like, it's just a learn, it's almost like a huge, it's like being in graduate school. Like it's a whole learning process. It really is. It, I, I learned so much and it was, um, it was daunting because you want, um, you want to have a book and you want a publisher to want your book, but you also realize that part of the process is you, they want you to defend your idea. They want you to convince them that this is a good book. And so that was really interesting to me. And, um, well, the whole process of writing a book was so interesting to me. I mean, I have told everybody it was such a good experience and, my editor would come up with 
what seemed, you know, out of left field suggestions for things that we, so the book has 60 projects. They were completely done and photographed by the time the book was sold in. And um, they wanted to change 10 of the projects. And when she sent me the list, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, but I like that one. I like that one. But then, you know, through talking with her, I realized, okay, this, this changing this one to something like this would make this all more relevant. I totally understand. So I loved having those kind of conversations. And Abby, you're probably like me. It's like when you're writing a book, I don't talk to anybody about it. So when I have an editor and we're actually verbalizing all these ideas that have been swimming around in my head, it's really exciting for me. Absolutely. So, so wait, so I just want to step back for one second. So you said that, first of all, 60 projects, amazing. And you said that you completed them and photographed them prior to shopping the book? Yes. Wow. So we, um, my the photographer friend believed in my idea and um, her name is EJ Armstrong and she's in Seattle here with me. So she believed in the idea. So she said, all right, let's do this. And so um, we literally made, I would like, I would make a batch of projects that were all proposed to be within the same section. So they all had similar colors and things. And then I would take them to EJ and we would spend a day photographing them, you know, all on the idea that eventually this was going to, you know, hopefully be published into a published book. But uh, her vision, like us working together, I think just it was so seamless and so easy at that point that it just, yeah, we just kept going. So we shot over, um, I don't know, maybe there were several most of a full day shots that I could sneak into the studio when there weren't things scheduled. And so we had a completed book. We, we were selling in a completed book. I think that's super unusual, but that's really amazing. So, and all of it was written as well. Yeah, it was all written. Wow. That I've never heard of anyone doing that before. I think that's awesome. And I can see why so many publishers were into it because it's always a bet with them, right? Like whether are you really going to be able to do this, you know, and here you are, of course, you're going to be able to do it. You've already done it. Right. And you know, we had to be, we, we wanted to be sensitive to different publishing houses who have their own in-house style. And, you know, we didn't want to completely design the whole book. And so, that was where sort of the, you know, the tug back and forth started in with the book design, but it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, and this kind of goes for both of you. I, I once my book, um, especially like with the first book came out, um, I kind of had this sudden burst of like confidence and legitimacy that I wasn't expecting. Like I was like, Oh, it'd be so cool. The book will be out. But then once it was really out, I was like, wow, like I have a book out, you know, you kind of get this weird sort of feeling like, um, you know, I am self-trained. I figured this out on my own and it was sort of my little thing. And now it's like in bookstores and people are buying it and all kinds of, you know, people are contacting me. And, um, I didn't expect that sort of feeling afterward. And I'm wondering, did you feel that same feeling? Either of you? Um, I definitely did. I mean, I had a friend who, in the process of writing the book, he asked me quite, you know, quite point blank. He wanted an honest answer. Why do you want to write a book? And I had to really think about it. And I said, you know, 
when I am a little old lady, I can see my book on a library shelf and feel like, like you said, I'm self-taught and I did this. Yeah, totally. Did you feel that way, Carrie, when you're, when, when the first edition of The Handmade Marketplace came out? Um, I felt almost everything that there is possible to feel when, when my book came out the first time, it uh, was thrilling and amazing. And that feeling has never gotten old of walking into a bookstore and seeing my name on a shelf is amazing. But I also felt a lot of, um, fear and nervousness. And I felt those things also when I was writing the book and I was never expecting those kinds of feelings. I guess I've always felt like a writer, but never knew what I would actually write. But always, ever since I was little, wanted to be a journalist or a reporter or something to do with writing, but never really knew how that was going to manifest beyond writing press releases and marketing material. So I think it took me a long time to feel like an expert in my area because it was all just ideas and they're all pliable. They're all changeable. It's, you know, it's definitely the things I write about. People can take what they need and leave the rest. So I was actually pretty nervous when it came out, but also incredibly thrilled at the same time. Yeah. And I feel that way about all of my projects, like scared, but so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually think I think we would all agree that that that, that nervousness and, and scare feeling of fear is a is part of the process too. And I I think also what you were both saying about being self-taught. I mean, I felt that way about writing a book. I didn't really know anybody that I could say, "Hey, how do I do this?" Instead, I was just doing it. And even though I had an editor who is wonderful and and gracious and very helpful, I didn't really know of any other authors where I could say, oh my gosh, how do I make myself sit down at my computer today? Or how do I get these ideas out of my head and onto paper? I mean, it was sort of um, a really exciting and lonely process the first time. And um but it, it's been really funny because both feelings of, I'm not, I'm not saying this very well, but like, you know, the extremities of both feelings of like total fear and panic and yet total excitement and amazingness seem to be with me all the time when I'm working on a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely loaded. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Well, congratulations to both of you. Um, it's really, it's really, really exciting to talk to you. And, um, and so we're going to dive in now to sort of the second portion of the show, which are, um, these amazing lists of recommendations that you've both put together, and I've put one together too. Um, I'm excited to talk about all this awesome stuff, some of which I've never heard of. So, um, so Carrie, we're going to uh, start with you. And um, the first thing you wanted to talk about, I just checked out um, and looks amazing. So it's very simple, right? It's called the fee calculator. So how does this work? The fee calculator, I can't remember when I came upon this really basic link, and it looks like, you know, a web page that was set up 
in the 90s. There's nothing fancy about it. But you just simply, it tells you how much money you can make if you use PayPal as the way to take dollars from customers. And it's been a really powerful tool in my planning and in my projections. So um, there's two little buttons, two little squares on the website page, and that's the feecalculator.com. And one says, I want to have this much left after PayPal fees. And the other one says, how much will I really get after PayPal's fees if I charge? And it's it's so good for forecasting and trying to figure out your planning because they just do all the math for you. So you just put in, like, if you're selling something for $9 but you really want to keep $9, you know, how much should it be for you to get that $9? And so you would just put in, I want to have $9 left after PayPal fees. And it'll tell you how much then you should really charge. And it just takes a lot of guesswork out. And it also helps me um, figure out how many things do I need to sell if I'm going to launch something and I want to make $5,000 and I want to make $5,000 during the launch. Like how many things do I need to sell to make that $5,000? It's yeah. just Cause it's really so, it's, easy. It's so simple to, um, <clears throat> sort of pretend or, um, I don't know, underestimate the amount that PayPal things like PayPal fees actually take. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it's like, if you put it in there, there it is right there. And obviously you could do the math easily with a calculator, but for those of us who are not so excited about playing around with decimals and fractions, um, it just seems like a way to get a real, you know, real picture, super easy, super quick about what you're really going to make minus the fees. Yeah. It, ha- it just goes so fast and you can really, I think, play around with numbers a lot more easily with something that's doing it for you. So you can just say like, oh, on average, I sell um, 4,000 ebooks a month or something. So it's like really great to just pop it in and see what comes out on the other side without having to do all the extra thinking. I think it allows your brain to focus on the better part, which is the sales or the productivity while taking away the spreadsheet part, which is the part I'm not wild about. So I love that website and I love to just get in there and fool around with it and dream and (laughs) (laughs) put stuff in and take stuff out. And I don't know, I think it's really a genius little tool. That's a good one. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So Blair, okay, so this is a sewing tool that I don't have and it's a stiletto. So what is that? So... I don't know where I discovered this tool, but it it is literally a pointy stick. I mean, it's a little pointier than a chopstick or a knitting needle. I have a bamboo one, and now I'm like, I'm so excited about it. I'm like trolling eBay, looking at, oh, vintage stilettos. I mean, it is literally a pointy stick. Um, And what I use it for, uh, like an example of how I use it is when I quilt, I press all my seams open and when I am joining strips with those pressed open seams, I don't need a pen. I can just hold the stiletto um, where the pen would be until it gets to the presser foot and let it go. And it is just the easiest thing. I'm trying to think of what else I used it for the other day. Some really off the wall thing, but um it is so useful, and I'm actually holding it right now. I think I'm going to build a little altar for it. <laughs> uh, but it is really, they have metal ones, they have um, bamboo ones, and it really helps, like, guiding things through, 
your presser foot when you're sewing, um, uh, you know, as a quilter, well, and you probably do too, Abby, have a lot of little tricky seams and it just, you can pull the, like sometimes if I'm feeding fabric through the presser foot and I see that the fabric edges aren't quite lined up, I mean, literally touch it with the stiletto and move it over an inch and you're good to go. And it's just, it's so easy. So it's almost, it almost acts like a really skinny pointy finger that you're not afraid to get really close to the needle, you know? Yes, Yes, that's right. So you can get it closer to the needle than you would your finger for sure. Yeah. And, um, and it's probably also good for when you turn things right side out, poking the corners. Do you use it for that? You can. I mean, it's definitely pointy, so you have to be really gentle, but you absolutely could. I mean, I used it the other day to hold, I was making piping and I use it. uh, I actually taught a sewing class and I gave the women chopsticks to show them if you just use that and press it, press the fabric down to the piping so you can see what you're covering as you stick it through this might not make any sense, but anyway, it allows you to get a really tight fit of that mm-hmm. fabric around the piping and just uh, push it through the presser fit. It's just an amazing little tool for a couple bucks. Yeah, I'm going to get one. I love it. Um, and do you know where you bought that one? You know, I got this one at, I think I got it at Joann's. Okay. All right. But, so now, but like I said, now I'm going to be on eBay getting like $100 <laughs> vintage. <laughs> All right. That sounds awesome. So uh, I wanted to talk about this um, little Instagram thing. Are you guys both on Instagram? I love Instagram. It has become my favorite social media site. Yeah. Yeah, uh, What about you? Yes. You're both on. Yeah. I think I might. I have to make sure I follow both of you on Instagram. So I wouldn't say yet it's my favorite. I know it's everyone's favorite and it's sort of controversial to say it's not quite my favorite yet, but um, but I'm getting, I'm, I was sort of a late adopter, so I'm, I'm getting into it further. Um, but this is something I stumbled on that I thought was really cool. So it's called Boomf. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. It's B-O-O-M-F and it is, um, marshmallows printed from your Instagram photos. So <laughs> that sounds totally sort of strange, but that's what it is. So they're $20. You get nine marshmallows. They're pretty big and they're square um, with free shipping worldwide. It's a UK-based company, but it's all free shipping. So um, so what do you do with this? It's, it's kind of cool. Like they tell you on the website, if you want to take a bunch of like a series of nine photos, but you don't want all your Instagram followers to see it, you can log out of Instagram and log in again, creating a new account and kind of like a secret account almost and take, you know, pictures there. So if you're making them for a baby shower or something like that, you don't want everybody to see them. Um, but they look gorgeous, um, like in a big bowl. If you take like simple high contrast images look the best. Um, they showed, a, they have a couple on their Instagram feed um, that are just beautiful sort of displays for a party. Um, you can make awesome s'mores. Um, they have one they show you on their website, on the Boom website of um, one of the marshmallows on fire and you can kind of see the, the image like get burned up. Um, and so each marshmallow is four centimeters by four centimeters. And I don't know, it's just fun. Like it's a fun gift. You could take pictures of um, a series of things like all of um, little chocolates, like pictures of chocolate, and then send that to your mom for Mother's Day or, you know, anyway, it takes two to three weeks if you're ordering in the US. So just a heads up um, on that. And it's a project from the people at Mint Digital and they're the same people 
behind Foldable Me, which is another cool project where you can design a cardboard foldable person that looks exactly like, you know, somebody that you know or yourself and have it delivered um, to them. So, yeah, so you can get a precision cut cardstock person that looks just like you. And Foldable Me had contacted me a while back and offered to send me a a one of me. And I I was sort of like freaked out and I didn't do it, but I kind of regret it because I think those are really cool too. So anyway, two kind of fun, creative, just, you know, for kicks projects. Um, But uh, Boomf is, is the one with the marshmallows, so... That sounds like a lot of fun. We have a hot chocolate party every year um, where it's our way of having a holiday party like on the cheap. So we just have this hot chocolate bar where we put out different kinds of hot chocolate and different toppings to mix in. And then there's um, alcohol for the adults or fun flavor extracts for kids and everybody brings a portable mug and makes these crazy hot chocolate concoctions. And then we go and have a walk and look at all the neighborhood lights in our neighborhood. And we're always looking for really fun things to put out for that. And these marshmallows I think would be a great way if I made some for each of the guests or at least the kids that were coming, they'd probably really like that. Yeah, that's cool. That's perfect for a hot chocolate party. Um, um, yeah, and also that. that sounds like a fun party. <laughs> yes, you guys should both come next year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that's cool. So, all right, so Carrie, we're back up to you, and you wanted to talk about um, something that I love too, which is secret Pinterest boards. Yes, I love these secret Pinterest boards so much, and for a long time we could only have three. And then last month when I got an email I think in March of this year that said unlimited secret Pinterest boards, I was over the moon because I had to be so careful with the three that were available that I even had an extra Pinterest account just to access the secret boards like on my secret account. (laughs) (laughs) But I use them so much. I never was really able to get into services like Evernote and things like that just seemed too complicated to me, but it's so easy with a little pin it button on the dashboard of my computer to pin an article I want to read later or um, a a project that I want to investigate more. I actually use them as sort of like filing cabinets and they're, they're just incredible. They make everything so easy. I can see a picture. So it's not just a link. Whereas before I used to send myself emails, like read this article about X, Y, Z, and I would think sometimes, like, what, what, why did I want to read that? I couldn't really quite remember. But with the Pinterest secret boards, I can just keep track of everything there. And it's visual and it's fun and it's easy to store and access things. And it just saves me a lot of time, actually, when I'm online. It's just easy to like pin something to my secret board of like read later or whatever it is that they've really sort of change the way that I use my computer and the internet. That's so interesting. So you um, are actually using them, secret Pinterest boards, the way that um, some people, like you said, use Evernote or I use Pocket where I I used to also email myself all these articles all day long and then I started using Pocket and so I can email – pocket the articles and then I open them later. But as you said, they don't have that visual component. So sometimes it can be hard to remember why that article is sitting there waiting in my pocket to be read. Um, so you use a secret Pinterest board for that purpose. That's so, that's total. I've never heard of somebody doing that before. It's totally interesting and it really makes sense. 
It's just, it's, it was really a game changer. Plus, you know, I have now that we have unlimited secret boards. I have one for um, food that I would like to eat, but I necessarily don't necessarily want like the whole world to know like, oh, she's going to eat some kind of crazy, you know, nachos made with blue cheese or I don't know, whatever it is, like things I don't really want people to know about me, but I want to save like the more kind of personal side of things. The secret Pinterest boards are just a game changer. Yeah, they are. So I have the, I have one and um, I am a co-founder of a local artist group here in Wellesley. It's the Wellesley Women Artisans where I live. And because um, for a long time, I thought there were like no artists in my town um, here in Massachusetts. And then over time, I kind of um, realized that that, of course, couldn't be true. And there were people who were artists who lived here, but we just sort of weren't organized. And so now we are and we ha- we're like maybe 35 people. And every year we plan um, an art event for the whole town. Um, and we have like a big weekend in town that's kind of like everything's open. You can take a tour of the fire station. You can take a tour of the municipal light plant. And um, like there's all kinds of fun things for kids to do outside. And so as part of that weekend, we have an art event. And um, we do something, you know, where everybody can participate. So this year we are um, painting on old vinyl records and then we drilled holes in them so we can attach them all together. We're making a huge installation where it'll be like a big wall of painted vinyl. And so I started a secret Pinterest board um, before our group meeting to plan the event of all of the beautiful painted vinyl records that are out there. So people could kind of get inspired and um, sort of see some ideas of what they might want to make on the day of and what, what was possible. Um, and, you know, that's these painted vinyl records don't really fit in with my brand. <laughs> you know, they're not, My Pinterest boards are all like stuffed animals and blogging and business related. And they're not, um, you know, why is there randomly this painted vinyl record board? So I have that as a secret board, and I just invited everybody uh, in the Wellesley Women Artisans to be on it so they can all pin to it as well. Um, So I I do love it for that. Yeah, we use them to plan our vacations. So my husband, Derek, and I, you know, have a few that we just share, and we can just sort of put whatever we want on these secret boards that we can both see. And he's actually a little bit more engaged in the content that I'm sharing with him that way than if I were just sending him a million emails like, look at this hotel or look at this thing we could do in this town, that he really likes the the boards as well. So they really had a bigger impact on my life than I think regular Pinterest sharing. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, so interesting. I love it. I should do a blog post like ways to use secret Pinterest boards to improve your life because (laughs) it sounds like there's probably other ways that we're not even thinking of. But I love the sort of communication between spouses too. Like that's great. Mm. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, All right. That's super. So, uh, so Blair, we're down to you. Um, uh, I see people using this all the time and I, I haven't used it. It's called my fitness pal and it's an app. So tell us about that. I love my, I'm like, just evangelical about my fitness pal, mainly because I need to, in order for me to see what I'm eating, I need to write it down. And I just have tried for years to carry a notebook and write it down. And I'm just not good at it. And somebody told me about this app and it's a free app. I downloaded it and started adding things in And what's cool about it is that, like this morning, I had uh, yogurt, 
you can literally, it allows you to scan the barcode of the yogurt and you get the serving size, the calories. And then if, you know, if you're eating one serving size, you just hit okay. And it automatically logs it into your day. And, um, it also allows you to input, uh, exercise that you get every day and you can do a search a 30 minute walk and they have a huge database that you can, um, work on, you know, um, for, or you can look through for, to find matches for what you're doing. And it allows you to add in how much water you've had. It allows you to put in your goals. And then what's really cool about it is that once you've done it for a certain amount of time, it's it can spit back out nutrition information for you. So I love data. I just don't like creating data. Like if it's too hard to do, I know I won't do it. And so I love the fact that if you get, you know, if you, if you, bank some days recording your food. Um, and there's also um, a social component to it that allows you to interact with other people on it, which uh, honestly I haven't tried. So I don't know how that works, but um, I know some people have and they like it, but it allows you to look at your nutrition. And for me, and I know for my husband too, it's like uh, you realize looking at that, like what adds up, I mean, I, I remember like a week ago, I was making a salad for dinner for myself. And so as I would put in an ingredient, I would just like add it to the app. And I was joking with my daughter. I'm like, I can't get to enough calories in this. I keep adding stuff and I can't get to like the 500 calories that I need to eat for dinner. So, you know, being mindful of what I eat at my age is like the biggest eye opening thing ever. And I think without this app, I don't think I would do it. That's awesome. Um, I, uh, have been on Weight Watchers on and off for, um, I think many, many, many years. Um, and one of the things that sort of the newer Weight Watchers has is an app where you can record what you eat and they do have the database, but they don't have that scanning. That is awesome to be able to scan a barcode yeah. um, and have it just pop right in there. I think that's really, um, that's just totally, that's making the best use of uh, what, you know, a, a mobile, a smartphone can do, you know? Right, right. And if you in, if you go to uh, Chipotle, you know, you can certainly just do a search for what you ate and it will spit back out the calories and it just makes it really easy. That's super. Um, yeah, and I love um, – I really love sort of apps that help with personal fitness and that kind of thing. I used um, Couch to 5K a couple of years ago, and that was amazing for me. And I have been running four mornings a week for two years now because of that app. Um, Yeah. And it really would never have happened. So I understand your feeling of like evangelizing the app because... Yeah. it's Well, it's like I'll, I'll plug in my food and then I work out... Pretty much every day of the week, I might take a day off. Um, but I work out um, to videos at home, and I work out really hard for 30 minutes. And then you can do a search for that video, find the number of calories. And I I love, I, I punch in the, the exercise. I'm like, oh, my gosh, look how many more calories I can eat today. That's so awesome. It just sort of <laughs> lays it all out for you. Yeah, super. That's great. Really inspiring. 
I'm going to definitely get that. Thanks, Blair. <laughs> Welcome. Yay. <laughs> Um, all right. So I wanted to talk about a really simple uh, website. It's called Alphabet Origami. So before I started making stuffed animals, I always really liked sort of three-dimensional, making things that were two-dimensional into things that are three-dimensional. I've always been really attracted to that idea and sort of way of thinking. And so I was really into origami for many years. Um, and when I was a teacher, I had an after school origami club for all the origami nerds in my school. <laughs> and um, yeah, I do. I, I have a lot of origami books and I have a lot of origami paper. Um, and I still really enjoy origami. So this is a cool website. I learned about it through my friend Jessica's blog. Um, her blog is called Zaka Life. And she just blogged about it the other day. Um, but I'd never heard of this. So in alphabet origami, there's two different fonts, sort of, um, of every letter of the alphabet. There's sort of a blockier one and a skinnier one. And um, you click on a letter, like you click on the letter B, and then it takes you to a page. Again, uh, this site, similar to uh, the site that Carrie recommended, is very um, sort of web 1.0. Like <laughs> it's very old style looking, but it works. And um, and so you get a diagram. Uh, sort of like you would think of in a origami book to show you how to fold the letter B. And then you also, and this is what I think is so brilliant about it, you also get an animation. And you can speed it up or slow it down, and it just shows you how to fold it, which is sort of the you know the hardest and most the thing you struggle with the most when you make origami is not understanding one of the diagrams. And you could just sit there for days like, I don't, I just, where does this fold go? Like, how does it go from this picture to this picture. Um, and the animation just solves that problem instantly. So you can make, um, and there's probably sites like this for all different origami folds, but this one is just letters of the alphabet. And so she spelled out mom and made this really cute Mother's Day card um, with, you know, an M-O-M. Um, but there's lots of ideas of what you could do, like um, for a baby shower, you know, you could put the baby, first letter of the baby's name, or just spell out whatever word you wanted to, um, an origami, and then make a card or use it for other things on a present, gift topper. I mean, I can see all sorts of uses for this. So, so cute, fun, easy. And it's, um, I'll put a link in the show notes because it's kind of a weird uh, website, but you can also just Google alphabet origami and you'll find it. So. I love that. My son is obsessed with origami, so it'll be perfect. Yeah make his name, you know? Yeah. It's just fun. Um, all right. So Carrie, we are back up to you. I wanted to talk about this with you too. This is creative live. Um, and I know you have, um, a class, which I mentioned in the start of the show on creative live coming up. So I want to hear about that. And, um, I also wanted to hear about another class that you recommend that's called the power of body language. Yes. Um, I really fallen back in love with learning online. I think for a little while I was kind of burnt out on e-courses, um, having my own and taking other people's that I didn't really pay a lot of attention to websites like Creative Live when they first hopped on my radar. But now that I am more familiar with it, I'm actually kind of obsessed with it, Creative Live in particular. So I'm doing a class with them, but even if I wasn't, I want to be really clear about that. Even if I wasn't doing a class with them, this um, one particular course on the power of body language has been transformational for me. It, um, if you have, if you do any kind of work where you need to 
present your case or your uh, your point, do presentations, give speeches, teach classes in front of a group of people, anything like that. This particular course is so helpful. I've watched it twice and have used a lot of what I've learned in everyday situations from when I was recently teaching classes at a conference to I went to an art opening and class the other night. And so I was meeting a lot of new people and I get a little shy in groups of people and I'm never really sure what to say or how to stand or I don't know, I get kind of awkward. And, um, but I've used a lot of the tools and strategies that were taught in this class that I feel like it's made this huge difference in my confidence and in my, the way I approach people. And so in this class, it's taught by Vanessa Van Edwards. She talks all about body language and what's the kind of signals that we're sending to other people with the way we stand, the colors we wear. I mean, it goes a lot into color psychology, which I found was interesting. So if you're making a presentation in front of a group of primarily men, you would want to wear different colors than if you're making a presentation in front of a group that was primarily women. And the reasoning behind most of this stuff is so deep inside of us that they're not really conscious choices or, or conscious thoughts we're making. For example, the first time you meet a new person, no matter what you really think you do, you automatically look at their hands first. But when I pull people like, what do you think you look at first? Everybody almost says like their face or their eyes or if they're smiling. But really, we have these micro movements where our eyes first check out their hands. And that goes back to prehistoric days when we would check to see if someone knew how to weapon in their hand. And we still do it to this day, like just as human beings. And a lot of these things are also universal. So they happen to people all over the world, no matter where they live, no matter what culture they're coming from. They, we all do these certain things. One of the most interesting things I learned in the course was, um, you know, when somebody wins a race or crosses a finish line, they throw their hands up in the air, their arms all the way out, extended towards the sky, and they put their head back. Yeah, totally. Like lift their face towards the sun. Yes. That's something that all people do, even blind people who have never seen somebody else win a race. Wow. They, they've never watched somebody cross a finish line, but the first thing a, a blind person will do when they cross the finish line is, is throw their arms, uh, outstretch them all the way to the sky and throw their head back and smile. It's just these movements that all of us have that unite everybody. And it's just, it's just been really fascinating. Yeah. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I think everybody who knows me in real life is like, Oh, great. Here comes Carrie. <laughs> She's going to say something about body language now, but it was really so interesting. And I've already used so much of it in my teaching. And like I said, meeting new people that I just learned a ton and think it would benefit anybody who, if you work at a craft show, like, you know, what's the best way for you to stand behind your booth so that you look welcoming, or if you're meeting new people or pitching a book to a group of people in person, like no matter what you're doing, if it involves you selling some part of yourself or what you do to other people, there's a lot, a lot of benefits in this particular course. Gosh, I totally need it. I'm going to sign up. That sounds terrific. And I'm signing up this afternoon. <laughs> I mean, I cannot stress how amazing it was. And it's three days, so it's a little bit of a time commitment. But if you pay for it, you can watch the segments that you most want to see. Uh-huh. But it's, it's maybe one of the biggest to professional tools I've come across in these past five years that my life has been a little bit more public. 
that had really long lasting benefits for everything that I do as a speaker, a teacher and a writer. Yeah, totally. And it's not something that we really talk a lot about. So this seems like one of the only, um, I don't know, resources I've seen on this particular topic. So I think it's, that sounds perfect. And tell us a little bit about the course you'll be teaching there. So I'm going to be teaching you how to start your handmade business and it's going to be a three day course. And, um, when the course, so they film it, you're actually filmed live. And when it's happening live, people can watch it for free on the creative live website, or they can just, um, decide that they want to pay now. And I think get it at a discount and then have access to it always. But if you sign up after the course is live, then I think it shoots up a little bit in price, but it comes with free resources. Um, if you pay for the course, you'll get a workbook that carries you through all the things we do. And essentially it's sort of like a live version of the handmade marketplace. There'll actually be a creative collective that will, um, connect with via Skype in the studio. I have three special guests coming. One woman, is um, a star to me, Kate Terry, is coming out to Seattle where I'm filming mine to help us actually build a craft show booth live and to talk about merchandising. So somebody from the live studio audience will bring everything they have for their craft show booth and we will build a booth live and talk about the best way to visualize um how you want to set up your booth and best merchandising practices, all things like that. So I have some really fun in-studio guests that are going to be there with me. Um, and we're going to touch on everything from marketing and PR to improving your photography, setting up your store, either if you're choosing an online marketplace or you want to do it through your website. Um, lots of inspiration and lots of encouragement about what it means to be a handmaker in business. Uh I know I'm leaving a ton of stuff out, but it's just, it's going to be really great and it's going to run for three days and it's going to be interactive and a lot of fun. I'm really, really excited for this opportunity. Yeah, that sounds terrific. I love the sort of live and interactive part of that um, and that you're going to build a craft booth. That's so cool. What a great, what a great class. That's a great resource. Um, awesome. So, um, so Blair, we have time for one more of your picks. Um, okay. and, uh, do you want to pick or do you want me to pick? <laughs> you know, I will, uh, I would love, I love the book, show your work. Yeah. I was okay. going to pick that one too. So let's go. Yeah. With that. So Austin Cleon, his last name is Cleon, I think. Um, yeah, it's he, Cleon. yeah, he also wrote the book, um, steal like an artist, um, which, I didn't own and I ordered after I read this book. Um, it came out and I received it in my hands at the perfect time. It was right after my book came out. And um, he just, I love the way he breaks it all down into really simple bullet points of how to get your work out there. Don't be afraid to show work in progress. Uh you know, learn to take a punch. I mean, I just, all of these um, little anecdotal sections that he has in this book, it's a small book. It's an easy read. It's, I, I actually keep it in my studio and flip through it um, now and again, because there's just so much sage advice in that book. And who would you recommend it for? For anyone who feels like they need to use the internet to promote themselves and their work and really any kind of work. Um, I think that, you know, of course, if you're an artist, 
or a handmaker, the visual aspect of that is a really easy fit. But I, I think that, I think that so many people who don't show their work on the internet may be afraid because, um, they're afraid of putting ideas out there that aren't finished because they're worried about copying from other people or things like that. And this book just sort of lays out, you know, there's always other ideas and there's always going to be people that are going to borrow from your work and how to sort of get across, you know, sort of conquer that mindset of, Oh, you know, I need to keep it all here and not share it. I just think for any, any type of work, that needs to be promoted somehow on the internet. It was, it's perfect for. That's great. And I, I do struggle with that with people, you know, when I tell them what I do and, um, and they don't, you know, people who I talk to who really don't have any internet presence at all. And, you know, they sort of feel like they should, but one of the big hurdles is exactly what you just said, which is a fear that, um, that people will steal their ideas and people will copy them. Um, and that if you put it out there, then it's anyone's. And, um, and it's really, I find it to be a really difficult thing to do to try to convince people that that's okay. Um, and the other thing that I think is interesting is that having a blog for as long as we've had it, you create a body of work. You can look on that and you have, you have, really without realizing it maybe created an aesthetic that's you. And I talked to a woman uh, that I admire very much. She's had a blog for a very long time and she, her type of work is blatantly copied all the time. And uh, I asked her how she felt about that. And she said, you know, they, she's not really worried about it because they never know what she's going to do next. It's it, it it I thought that that whole perspective was very interesting. She doesn't she doesn't let it keep her up at night because she has her aesthetic and she has her style and these people who are spending all this time like copying the the minutia of one particular thing don't have that same style and they don't know what she's going to do next. Absolutely. And what you have I said this in my blog this week and I feel like it's really true and actually um, Elise uh, talked about this on her podcast, Elise Gets Crafty, last week, which is what you have on the internet the most is your voice, you know, and that is really the thing that you have and that you need to protect um, and that nobody can take. Right. Exactly. You know? I mean, you've got to, you've got to put it out there because it forms your body of work and, uh, People would, you know, people would comment on my Instagram feed or they would send me a link to something and and say, or they would see something on my Flickr stream and they would say, I knew this was yours before I even pulled it up. And, you know, I've had that happen for years. And I think to myself, well, who would know what my aesthetic was? It's just not that obvious to me. But when I look back at the work I've allowed to just you know, show and share, um, even in process, I see there, there is an aesthetic there. And I think that's really important. I think as an artist, you've got to get your, you've got to get yourself out there. You've got to, you know, people love to know how a piece of art came to be. Don't be scared to share it. 
Absolutely. And this book is a great jumping off point for getting at that idea. So it's called Show Your Work by Austin Kleon. Um, that's a good one. So, well, you guys, it's time to wrap up, but this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing these great tips and for talking about both of your books with me. Um, it's been awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. This was great. Thank you, Carrie. Well, thank you both too. This has been a lot of fun. Okay, God, That's great. So, um, so Blair, where can we find you online? So, uh, Online at BlairStalker.com and at WisecraftHandmade.com. And there are links on both of those to uh, learn more about my book and about my quilt patterns. And I also have some original work for sale as well. Awesome. Super. And Carrie, where should we go to find you? Um, well, I'm on most social media sites as at Carrie Chapin, and that includes Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And um, I have a website, CarrieChapin.com, and it's under construction. There's a there's stuff there now, but um, I will be launching a brand new website in the beginning or the middle of May, I guess. So. Anybody can check back there, but if you go there now, it's not so awesome. But maybe by the time this podcast is live, it'll be great. Yay. <laughs> Super. I'm also in the midst of planning a new website, so I know what that's all about. Um, yeah. yeah. So so that sounds super. So um, this has been the Walshy Naps podcast. This show airs on the first and third Monday of each month. Subscribe in iTunes so you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, take a minute to rate and review it in iTunes so that more people can find it. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Thank you so much for listening.